On March 13, 2023, a 36-year-old woman walked onto the stage of the Dolby Theater in Los Angeles to be handed an Oscar for the film The Elephant Whispers. In that moment, her movie became the first one from India to win an Academy Award in that category. And this was her first film. These are facts, but they are also a myth. As Debbie Millman once said, the myth of the overnight success is just that, a myth. Prior to this moment, Kartiki Gonzalez had taken a five-year voyage and shot over 450 hours of footage and spent countless seconds, minutes, hours, days, months, even years in the field and in the edit to arrive at this point. She got there through a combination of sensitivity, persistence, passion, blind faith, raw talent, and an incredible amount of hard work, meaning it didn't happen overnight. She earned it one hard-fought battle at a time. Without further ado, I give you a conversation with director Kartiki Gonzalez. Kartiki, welcome to the show. So happy to uh, have you here today. Uh, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it, it's a pleasure to be here. So let's start at the end and and, uh, and then work our way backwards. Your Oscar speech uh, was so captivating. Um, and I remember you saying, I used to be a sales girl at an apparel store, and here I am holding an Oscar. Tell me about that day and that moment and sort of, you know, the rush of feeling that you had standing up there on that stage. What, what was that like? Put us in, put us in your shoes. Uh, the entire win was absolutely uh, surreal. I think being up on that stage in front of so many people who've been in the industry for so long and having this indigenous story from India, from the heart of where I live and, and also talking about conservation and elephants i think it was really special to have such a small documentary uh, take the world stage like that i and it was really humbling in many ways because i come from a small town up in the mountains and and this documentary was actually my debut as a uh, uh, yeah uh, it was as it was my debut as a director mm -hmm. as a director so so it was the very first uh, documentary that i ever made and I've been a natural history photographer and I think just being up there with an entire message for the rest of the world was really special. So, so in that moment, you know, as you go to sort of, um, you know, accept the award and make your speech, what's running through your head and, and, and kind of what's the feeling in the moment for you? I, I think for me, it was a big shock because I didn't really think that we were going to win. Over the period of time, we had all the, I mean, there were so many beautiful documentaries and India had never, ever won an Oscar for an independent film ever. So in my head, I was kind of like, this is it. I mean, we, we have this beautiful film, but I think this is it. So when they did call out the documentary name, it was just this moment of, oh my God, I can't believe this indigenous film just won. And I was walking up to the stage, I saw everyone and it just seemed like thousands and thousands of people and I did have a couple of minutes of being scared, but then I realized that this was going to be the largest message for the world. So did you have any sense? Uh, it's funny, I'm thinking of, we did a podcast with uh, William Friedkin, you know, the director of French Connection and, and uh, The Sorcerer and, yeah, and um, you know, all those other, you know, brilliant films. And he told me the story of when he won for The French Connection, he had this weird moment afterwards where he felt kind of weirdly... Um, 
I don't know, like depressed or dissatisfied in some way or another and kind of like, well, what do I do now? Or kind of what does the future hold? What was the immediate aftermath? Did you did you know what to do with yourself or was it were you coasting on a high? I actually switched off my phone. Uh, I, I had my mother and father with me who attended the Oscars. So as soon as we won, I sort of just switched off my phone. I think I just needed that space to say goodbye to it all and to just relax and get myself back into into order because the entire process of the campaign was overwhelming in many ways. Being there and talking about the film to so many people and late nights and parties and so on. So I think by the end, it, I was just super exhausted and I just needed that one day it, it was actually, and then I turned on my phone and I had the Prime Minister of India and that's, it was pretty interesting because every single actor in India had posted and I hadn't shared any of them because my phone was switched off. And then I came back to about 5,000 messages and emails and I'm still responding to them because I feel like it's important. These are people who follow the film and they want to reach out. So I've been responding to two or three every day. Good on you to... T- Good on you to take a moment to just, you know, sort of let it let it settle in and turn off the phone and very good. So take us back, sort of rewind to the beginning of when this film starts and kind of what leads you to it and, and kind of the path. How does this how does this film come into the world? The extreme beginning is I fell in love with Raghu and it, it all basically began when I was driving from Bangalore in India to shift back home to my family in the mountains and I live at 7,000 feet in the Western Ghats of South India. And this is a massive, uh, it's a massive biosphere reserve and there are lots of wild animals, elephants, tigers, leopards, the Indian gaur, which is equivalent to the American bison and a whole lot of wild cats, panthers and so on. So, and I first met Raghu when he was three months old and, and there was Bowman who was walking down the side of the road with this tiny little three month old calf. And I was driving by my car and I sort of was hanging out the window, which I should have been doing. And at that moment, I kind of saw this cute little elephant calf, but I wanted to know more because we had this young orphaned calf, which was with this human being. And they had this really special bond. So I pulled my car over, I jumped out and I actually went and joined them for a bath. And that was just a very special, evening because I think that was the beginning of this entire six-year journey that I've been on. It brought me so much happiness to be able to share this beautiful connection with an elephant that was so wild and young and extremely vulnerable at that at that age. So it just brought me so much happiness but then I realized that there was another side to the story because we had this tiny little calf with a human being so that made me sort of explore the background as to why he was there with a human being and they had this really special bond which is questionable in in some ways because you don't usually see a tiny orphan calf with a human being and and then I really got to know that he was orphaned and this sort of changed the entire story in my head because you had this entire uh, bittersweet beginning to the story because the Asian elephant is basically losing its habitat at a really rapid pace due to encroachment and climate change in a country like India, which is so fast developing. And at this stage, there are roughly about uh, 35,000 to 40,000 Asian elephants left. And the situation is extremely grim. We're just losing elephants at alarming rates due to poaching and human animal conflict. And that's when I realized that I was sitting on this positive story right in front of me when we have 
all these stories about animals being taken away here we had this beautiful bond of of coexistence well it's a love story and in, in, in a in a sort of profound and fundamental way and i'm kind of curious from when you first sit down and kind of pull over the car to transforming it into a film like what are the steps and what's the process of kind of you know getting everybody on board getting financing and, and kind of tell us a little bit about kind of where your background and where you are at this point uh, and coming from professionally to you know to turn this into a film so I actually started out as a natural history photographer and I've been doing that for over 15 years. And then I I turned into a, a camera woman and I actually shot a couple of things for Animal Planet and so on. And then that's when I sort of took a stand and I was like, that was not exactly the path I want to go down. And I was sort of reorganizing and figuring out what is the best way to tell stories that I was happy about. And... I sort of realized that some of the blue chip style of documentaries had had these stories, but they were crafted on the edit table at a much later stage. And, and that was something that really hit me is not being pure documentary. I wanted to tell stories of people who were out there and document their day to day life and make a real story out of it. So that's how this sort of transpired I would say I sort of it was extremely organic for me I I think the first time I ever went out into nature was when I was 18 months old and and my mother was extremely interested in nature my grandmother was an amateur naturalist and my father was a photographer so I think a combination of all of this is where I am today and I think every single job that I've done in the past has sort of brought me to this stage I started out as a sales girl and I worked in a gym for a while and all along I was doing photography as a side passion basically I was always in love with nature and because of my my past background i had a whole lot of information on animal behavior being out in the wilderness and and just i think being able to absorb all of that together and i think that's where it brought me today i think each part of my life has brought something i was in advertising for about 7 years so the creative direction from that helped with the direction of the documentary so i would say that this entire process of the making of the elephant whisperers i think every bit of my life has come into play in some way or the other. And I think that comes together. It's funny when you suddenly look back and you see the path that lead you to that led you to it, you know, that wasn't evident when you were pointed that way. But then when you turn around, you can see the path that it all led you there. It's an interesting distinction that you're making, um, which I think, you know, you can profoundly feel in the film, which is that it is so authentic, that it is so authentic and so not... Um, I don't know, sort of falsely constructed as you often see, you know, in, 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 in your sort of conventional sort of nature TV show or whatever it might be. When you go to begin, you know, approaching that and, and sort of following that instinct, what's your process? Um, you know, how long do you shoot for? Um, do you know what you're looking for? Are you clear which characters you're going to focus on? And, and how much time do you end up dedicating to, you know, to the shooting? Are you cutting along the way? Tell us how you do it. Well, I think with, with this specific story, it was once again, really organic. I'd never been a director before. I'd never assisted anyone. And I sort of just went out into the field with an idea that I was trying to capture the sacred bond between man and animal. 
And that was the one core idea that stuck with me from the very beginning till the very end. We shot over six years from 2017 till 2022. We shot, uh, we, I think each block was, was about 30 days, but we kept going back every now and then. So we had a couple of shoots every year at different time spans, different seasons. And over this period, we just kept on documenting life day in and day out. And I think that's where it really brings in the entire process of it being a verite documentary. You just go out there and keep shooting and accumulate the footage. And you're basically living what is happening in real life. And I think that's what I really love about the process it's different and you're sort of absorbing it and sometimes it's a bit hard to see where the story is going because you're living it you're experiencing what's going on with these people on a daily basis and that's when you really have to go back and start noting down everything that happens every single day and we did not edit at all during the process of the six years we accumulated all the footage another elephant came in which was Amu and that's when I realized that the story was much larger and we had a new baby elephant come in and that's when I realized I needed the funding to pursue this and we didn't anticipate Ragu being taken away so that was a sudden shock heartbreaking what a heartbreaking turn and I was like do I pull the plug it was it was it was something like okay there goes um our main elephant like what what do we do the story is about the sacred bond between him and Bowman and Belly and that's when the second elephant came in and just sort of transpired here we i wanted to show how often elephants were getting orphaned so when amu came in i realized that that was the next part i shouldn't stop the movie then i should i should keep documenting it and in fact it came to the point where i think with with this type of a documentary you tend to get so attached to the characters that are in the documentary there's bowman belly it started out as a personal bond with, with them in fact, I didn't even start shooting for the longest time. It was more about building trust, getting to know them and getting them, most importantly, to be comfortable in front of the camera because they're not actors. So so talk about that, because I think that's a really interesting piece of that. And I was curious about that. Um, how much time did you sort of spend with them? Because their uh, you know, performances, for lack of a better word, are so sort of authentic and so unaffected by it. How did you go about building that trust? And how much time did you spend before you decide to actually roll cameras? It was about a year and a half and I started out documenting different things with my cell phone and with my DSLR as just being a local woman from the same area. So I had the advantage that it was a homegrown story from a space that I call home as well. So I spoke the language and I would just go hang out with them. I didn't have any plans of making a documentary. I was just enjoying my time with the young orphaned elephant. And I'd never experienced that before. So I was splashing around with him in the river and playing with him, talking to Bowman. I learned a lot about indigenous ways of living that they lived and a whole lot about their background and so on. So I think it really started out there. In fact, I do have to tell you that I didn't even know Belly existed in the beginning. I just met Bowman and the baby elephant. So this was a process where you just, you learn things as you go along. I met Belly only a couple of months later because she was always in the back end doing all the cleaning work. And I never saw with the elephant. But then when I saw her with Raghu, this entire motherly bond came out and I was like wait a minute like it's so different compared to what Bowman has with this baby elephant and over the time I started talking to them it was almost a year and a half before I actually decided that I wanted to make this into a documentary so a lot of the footage that I had was very organic very it was just me capturing the moments I was sharing with with them 
and i think this is it come i think this entire process really came from my background being a natural history ph- photographer because a lot of the work that i do is you go to a different community somewhere uh in a remote location and you spend this time with with the people get to know them understand their lives and that's when they really open up to you and i think i also have an advantage of being a woman that i have women opening up to me as well on a whole different level so i think the trust is a big part of it we had a very small crew because we just we were in a natural space we didn't want to walk in and make a big scene we just wanted to be flies on the wall and basically just document the entire process and i think that really helped because they were not camera shy or anything they just went about their daily life and that's what we documented yeah it's it's really beautiful several things i was thinking as you were telling the story is one i think there is you can sense the tremendous bond that you have and and also the kind of the low impact crew because it's both incredibly cinematic and beautiful the way it's filmed but you don't feel the camera kind of catalyzing behavior rather it's you know it's a throwback to the you know the early Maisel's films or Pennebaker where it is this observational direct cinema and it's really beautifully done and then the other thing that I was thinking is it's not just one story, it's a series of interrelated love stories. You know, there's the love story of Bowman and Belly, there's this, you know, the love story of of their relationship with each of the elephants. And how conscious were you kind of thematically of interweaving those stories and kind of what was at the heart of it? Or were you just following your instincts and kind of t- letting the story take you where it wanted to go? I think while making the documentary, I didn't realize they were all intertwined in such a beautiful way. Uh, because I was talking to Belly and I knew about her life, I knew about Bowman's life. And then at one point it just hit me. I was like, wait a minute, they're all healing each other. It's And then you have this beautiful bond. You had Bowman and Belly falling in love with each other right in front of us, which was adorable because they have a very different way of expressing love. And that's something that I also want to put in the documentary because it was very organic and um, you had this whole side because I... I did experience that some people like, oh, um, this isn't the normal way that people show their love. And I was like, but yes, that's what's special about it. They have their own little way of flirting with each other. And um, they they live actually pretty separate lives because they are doing different things for the elephant all the time. And they're in different spaces. Raghu will be out with Bowman in the river. And then you have Belly at home doing some of the household work. And they're all in different times. But when they came together, it was just really special. How do you go about getting, you know, as you sort of begin following the instinct and and spending the time and just enjoying it, when do you transition to, okay, I need financing for this and who do you go to and sort of what's the process of of actually like transforming it into a film and getting the partners that you need? Like talk, talk to us about that a little bit. I would first say that I got pretty lucky with this one because it was my first documentary. I didn't really have any idea. Um, I sort of thought about the target audience of the documentary because you had this small indigenous community in the heart of South India that spoke a tribal language that nobody apart from the 1,500 of them who are left alive can speak. So I was like, they have this beautiful message, but the message was so global at the same time, even though it was so local. And I think that was really special about it because um, it it sort of just brought in the entire thing of unity and how everyone on this planet is connected in some way or the other. I know 
of late in our in the world that we live in there's so many things that are trying to divide us but there are some things that unite us and that is one of the stronger points and it made me think about the target audience and that's when i realized that i wanted this to be a global film and not just a tiny little local film because there was a message in it that everyone across the world be it new zealand or sweden could benefit from and so that that's when i the only company i would say that i thought about was netflix because i know they had a big global outreach and they reached out in so many countries and they also translated their films into many languages across the world and that's when i approached them and then i got a call the next day and they said we love this we'd want to take this further did you what did you do did you did you cut together a presentation reel or what did you show them when you when you talk to them about it when you bring it to netflix what do you have and what's the process uh with the elephant whispers what i did is that i actually shot at what at that point what i thought was most of the film because we'd been shooting for a good almost 3 and a half years by then so basically uh we went in with an entire uh assembly or rough like cut or something reel. it mm-hmm. was a pitch reel but it was shots that were taken over the duration of what we'd shot so it was already a good chunk of the film up to where amu came in the picture so that's what i presented to them and they saw that and i didn't uh, i think i'd have to say that one thing i definitely did which i think could be helpful to a lot of people is that i knew that i wanted it to be taken by an ott platform and i worked backwards and i used the right cameras i used the right lenses and things that that would be needed for them to accept it so i had everything in place so the footage that we had was usable for an entire film later on and i think that that bit was really important and then once i pitched it they fell in love with it and it was pretty quick and then how much longer do you, i mean you continue shooting for um, you know a long time subsequent to when you pitch it to netflix right i mean there's there's like and and what is that process in terms of working with netflix and um you know take us take us forward from there uh, so basically uh, when netflix came on board the new elephant had already come in and i was waiting to document her process because she just come in and we had a new addition to the family and there was this whole side of the story that sort of changed things so then a netflix wanted to take this forward so they let us continue to keep shooting the bigger question was more about where do we pull the plug on the film because with a story like this you can keep shooting for Forever. a very long time yep. and yep. you can keep going because the elephants were young and elephants live pretty much the same as humans you could have kept going and i think at that point it was more about will another baby elephant come in or what's going to happen or what would be a good time to pull the plug and that's when i was like i got a i got to pull the plug before another baby elephant comes in because we didn't want it to be repetitive and this could go on forever and ever and i think also getting too attached to the elephants and you just want to show everything and at the end of the day i mean if you really look at the process elephants have a very fixed life they eat they sleep they go to the bathroom they go for a bath and this is something that we documented over the period of time we also did wild elephants in between but uh, we had a whole chunk of natural history but at the same time we needed to fit in a whole bunch of the landscape as well and that also took time i think natural history requires you to be out in the wilderness for quite a long time to see change and also when it comes to this documentary it was 6 years put into 40 minutes with 450 hours of footage so i think 
that sort of just boils it down. I think the core thing that really kept me going on this was the entire concept of the sacred bond between man and animal. We documented human-animal conflict. We documented a forest fire. We documented a couple of other things. But at the end of the day, you really have to pull back to what your core story is, what was special about this specific story. Because there are a whole bunch of elephant films that are there already that have been made. And I think there are caretakers in Africa that look after elephants. There are caretakers in Thailand and other places where there are elephants. And I think it really brought me to the fact that this family bond between Bowman Belly and Rago and then Amu was what was really special about that because that was something that I had never come across in my life before and I'd never seen anywhere. And I knew that that was what was really special. Right, like at the end of the day, it's the story of a family. It's a story of a family and it was this beautiful family dynamic between elephants and humans and they had the same family dynamics that a human family would and I think I also used that to reach out to people because I wanted this documentary to reach out to people across the world and not just people who have been following wildlife specifically because documentaries and nature docs tend to be watched by people who already watch them and this was more of a message about coexistence so i really wanted it to reach out to everybody every layman that there was well it's interesting you know i'm hearing you say two things uh, which is one you kind of you reach the universal by following a very particular story right by by being sort of relentlessly geographically local it becomes this universal human story because all of us whoever or whatever our experience is understand what it means to be a family and i think that's what's so beautifully and poetically captured i'm curious about the edit um, and once you get into it because the film is very beautifully structured and very elegantly structured in terms of you know you have bowman's introduction at the beginning you have the kind of mirroring of that with sort of Belly's final thoughts at the end. You have the repetition of you know the the river and and the sort of poetry there and 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 the there's a there's a, a beautiful symmetry and elegance to the editorial structure. How did you find that and what was the process for the edit? Well, I have to give that to the first editor Sanchari Dasmolek and then later on Douglas Blush. They did a phenomenal job of putting this together and. We, we basically just laid out everything the way it was in reality. Initially, you have the bond and then Raghu gets taken away later on and then they get married. So there's all, there's all of this process happening. And I think this really goes back to um, the entire process of how we really put the story together. We started out by documenting their day-to-day -day life. And on the side, I was questioning them. We had this series of interviews that were talking about their entire life story. And what I decided to do is to basically give the indigenous people a voice. I wanted to give Bowman Belly the power to tell their own story. There were a lot of questions about bringing in a narrator, but that was something that I just didn't want to do. I felt that took away from the entire process of uh, the, I mean, I feel like there's a wall in between the viewer and the presenter. So I think that indigenous people basically have a very strong voice and I thought it was a very powerful way for Bowman and Belly to tell their own story. So I went against uh, bringing a narrator on board and we went about the process with Bowman and Belly by just asking them questions about their day-to-day -day life and that's what we used in the documentary. 
alongside the documentation of the entire life. So that's basically how it got put together. We asked them about uh, the entire process of when Raghu came in and then we got the footage. Uh, some of that was archival from the forest department. So we basically started putting together all the footage and the story was right in front of us. So interesting. Let me interrupt with the question, which is, did you shoot those interviews at the end uh, or were you shooting them along the way? And, I, and, I, and I'm curious about the choice, which I think is, works you know, brilliantly and beautifully. Essentially, those interviews become almost voiceover, like the inner monologues of the characters instead of doing them on camera until the end when you finally see Bowman the day with the sort of heartbreak and the tears in his eyes until it's finally on camera. But was your intention all the way through, okay, I may, I may or may not use these on camera, and, and, and when did you shoot that in the process? It was done right from the the very first, uh, uh, ever since we decided to make a documentary, they were done from there. Throughout every schedule, we had questions about what was going on in their life. What was it like when this happened? What was it like when her daughter died? And uh, an uh, entire process. So we had a whole lot of interviews. What they We had days where we just talked to them about what was it like with wild elephants? How did they used to come to the village often? Did they not? So it was basically just asking them about their entire life over the period of the six years. And that was really interesting because that was the base to the story. That's what kept feeding us uh, the inside parts of what they were feeling and basically what was going on in their lives. Yeah, the, the the deep interior lives that they were having and, and sort of what the emotional experience was like as you have this beautiful poetic footage of their lives and the interactions. Very interesting. Yes, and, and the questions that we were asking were specifically aimed at getting to know them on a much deeper level, getting them to open up about their lives, the, the way that they feel about conservation, about elephants. And I was very clear that I didn't want to bring in a scientific side to this. I wanted to keep this emotional. I wanted to keep it raw, emotional, and showcase all the human emotions uh, that one can experience. Because we did interview a whole lot of scientists as well. In fact, uh, specialists with, with elephants. But uh, what it was doing is taking people away from the connection that they were living in in Bowman and Belly's world. So I decided that, that was not a good way to go down and we needed to either stick to a science talk or we need to stick to an emotional documentary. So I went with the latter because I felt like that would connect way better to a whole wider audience it's interesting, you know, it, there are all of these choices that you make when making a film, and sometimes you have to go down these wrong roads to determine which ones are the correct ones. And then it's, and then that's the power and beauty of it is, you know, once you've shot those interviews with the scientists and then sort of remembering like, oh, okay, I want to be hooked into the um, the deeply human emotional connection and, and recognizing, okay, even though I've shot this, it doesn't necessarily belong in the film. I've got to stay true to the core of it. Um, I, have two more, I have two more questions for you, which is, um, one, what was the first time that you screened the film for Bowman and Belly, and what was that, what was that experience like? I think that word, I would have to say that's the most special moment ever. I think when you put all the work that you've put in and I sat them down in the place that we were staying. In fact, um, this was even before I showed it to Netflix because I wanted their approval before it went to go on to even think about being released. Because I think it's really important when you're working with an indigenous community to get their blessings, to make sure that they're okay with the representation of what I've done. And it gives them a chance to basically say, you know, 
we're okay with this, we're not okay with this, we love it. And I think that you have a certain responsibility being a documentary director. And more than that, I just wanted to showcase what their life was like. I wanted to see what they would think about seeing themselves on camera, on video camera, on a film for the first time. And the first time I showed it to them, they they just started crying, I think from the very first minute. And at that point, I, I was wondering if it was a good idea, would they get too emotional about the whole thing and not watch the documentary for what it is. But that slowly, the tears of happiness sort of just transpired into them started to giggle and laugh about some of the moments that happened in the documentary. And then they were shy. And it was just absolutely beautiful. I mean, I, I experienced a whole bunch of emotion just watching them watching the documentary for the first time. And I think that has to be the most special moment during the entire six years of work that we were putting in and so on. Of course, um, the moment they held the Oscar was another very special moment for me, but uh, I would have to say it's when I showed them the documentary and all the effort everyone had put in. I, I can imagine because I do feel like there is this fundamental moment of reckoning. You know, I, I, I feel it in the films that I've made where, you know, you want the world to like it. You want the approval or the critics or the whatever it may be, the audience. But at the end of the day, you have to feel like, okay, I'm going to show it to the people whose story I'm telling. And did I honor it? Did I get it right? And I can imagine the power and beauty of this because it's such a loving and, and complex portrait of them. So I, ha I have a beautiful image of you. Um, uh, sharing, screening the film for them and getting that reaction. And I guess my last question for you is, what's next? What are you going to do next? The, uh, the next documentary that I'll be working on is basically going to be a beautiful story on Orcas. And it's uh, it, at this point, it's going to be called Skana, which means spirit bean. And I'll be working on human Orca relationships next, hoping to explore the ways in which the First Nations uh, see and how the First Nations see orcas as teachers rather than subjects. And I hope that this will open a whole new dimension or, and perspective on the relationship between man and nature. And I want to portray the dignity of these beautiful beings and the indigenous people who have lived with them again for centuries. And the interesting thing is that the First Nations and the orcas are both a matriarchal society. So I want to draw the parallels between the two of them. So I'll be spending the next couple of years in the Pacific Northwest looking into the indigenous communities and Orcas. Beautiful. That's that's a I'm I'm delighted to hear that you're continuing along the path that you've, you know, pioneered for yourself already and that in that you're continuing to do documentary work and continuing along the same trajectory because it's it's beautiful powerful work that you're doing and I'm I'm glad that you're out there. Thank you so much for making the film and 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 working on the next one and uh, and thank you for sharing your time today. It was lovely speaking to you. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you to Kartiki for sharing her time and for making her beautiful film. And thank you to Ragu and Beaumont and Belly. See you next time on The Dangerous Art of the Documentary. The Dangerous Art of the Documentary is a Tillerman Films production. Executive producers are Tiller and Fitz. Our producer is Jacob Miller. Music by Zydepunk. The show is executive produced and distributed by Jake Brennan and Brady Sadler for Double Elvis Productions. Thanks for listening, and please, don't forget to subscribe.